Hey everyone, thanks for joining us here today. As you well know by now, the world has changed quite a bit over the past couple of weeks. But one thing that hasn't changed is our church, and more specifically, the mission of our church. We've always said that our mission at STSA is to bring an ancient faith to the modern world. That mission hasn't changed, because no matter what happens to the modern world, our ancient faith stays the same. It's just as relevant today and powerful today and life-giving today as it was 2,000 years ago and will continue to be for the rest of time. But while what we're doing hasn't changed, how we're doing it certainly has. And I want to make sure you're up to date on everything that we're doing. We recently updated our website to reflect this new normal in which we're operating today. So I hope you'll check it out later today at stsa.church. There, you can see how we're adjusting the ministry to keep pace with all the changes in the world today. Also, I know one thing that's on everyone's mind is Holy Week and Easter. Well, thankfully, we have a great team in place who have been working hard to see to it that we provide the best possible Holy Week experience given the limitations that we're dealing with. So stay tuned for an email from me later this week with details and what you'll need to do on your end in order to get ready. And if you're not already on our email list, please go to our website, stsa.church, and sign up. The world is changing quickly these days, and signing up for our email list is the best way to stay in touch with what we're doing to change with it. So again, thank you for being here this, with us today. We got a great message lined up for you. And remember, while all this may be new and scary to us, nothing is new and nothing is scary to our Heavenly Father, who's got you and me and all of us in the palm of his hand. Well, good morning, and thank you all for joining us here at STSA Church Online. Whether you are a member of the church who lives locally, or a friend of ours who may live in a different part of the world, or whether you were just online clicking around and you ended up on our webpage or our YouTube page, we're happy that you're here, and my prayer is that through our time together, you would leave a little bit better than you came in. If you're just joining us here today and trying to get caught up, we are in the finale of a six-week journey called Unshakable. And if you want to get caught up on the rest of the series, you can go online to our webpage or our YouTube page. And I'm telling you, if you're looking for something to binge watch during these days and you finished everything on Netflix and everything on Hulu, check out our webpage and get caught up on this series, Unshakable. The series is based on a verse from Psalm 125, verse 1, which we didn't realize when we first started this series how important and how relevant it would be. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. When we started this series back in February, the world was obviously a much different place. We talked about faith being less like a light switch, yes or no, on or off, and being more like a thermostat, warm, warmer, warmer, warmest, okay? And we talked about how our faith is the same way, is that all of us have faith to a degree. And it's not a matter of do you have faith or don't you have faith. It's a matter of where are you in your faith and how can you take the next step and grow? Because it is inevitable in life. This is what I said in week one back in February. It's inevitable that life is gonna throw something at us where we're gonna be tempted to be shaken and we need to be ready for when that happens. Well, lo and behold, we didn't realize at the time what would happen in the world, but obviously God knew. And that's why God gave us this verse. And what God is saying to us, he wants our faith to be like a mountain, unshakable. 
You can you can run a truck into a mountain and won't move. You can run an airplane into a mountain and won't move. Wind won't move a mountain. Rain won't move a mountain. Nothing can move a mountain. A mountain is unshakable, is uninvincible. How about your faith? Does that sound like a good description of how you live your life? The hope is that our life would be unshakable, that the economy couldn't shake our faith, that our 401ks going into the toilet couldn't shake our faith, that a sickness couldn't shake our faith, that even a pandemic, even, I want to say, death itself cannot shake our faith. Does that sound like the kind of faith that you have? Or is your faith less like a mountain and more like a house of cards? that you put the house of cards together and it stands strong as long as nobody moves and as long as nobody touches it. And when you walk by that house of cards, you kind of go like this because if anybody sneezes, the whole thing comes tumbling down. Which of those two pictures sounds more like your faith? Easily shaken or or, or never shaken? There's no judgment here. It's not a matter of judging and not a matter of saying you're good or you're bad. But the point here is that life will inevitably hit you with one thing after another. And I want you to know that there is a place, there is a place where we can get to where nothing can shake us. It's not going to be an easy journey, but there is a place that we can reach where we are invincible. And that's what we're doing here in this series. And there's kind of two parts to that we've been looking at from the very beginning. There's a God part and a me part. There is first, I have to understand the nature of God and his characteristics. And then second, I have to practice trusting in that nature and in those characteristics. If you remember in week one, we showed a video of the guy doing the trust fall, the girl doing the trust fall, will she fall back? And there's two parts to taking that trust fall. The first is knowing who it is that behind me and knowing, does he care about me? Is he strong enough to catch me? Is he even paying attention? And then the second part is once I know those things is taking that step of faith, which won't be easy and letting go. Same in this series. Each week, what we've been doing is looking at one characteristic of God's nature and who he is, and then finding a way that we can practice trusting in him. Let's go by way of review real quick here for those who are new new to, to, to the series. First week, we looked at the sovereignty of God, and we looked at God as the pantocrator, and all things, at all times, all places, all circumstances, fully in the palm of God's hands. And who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? That was week one, nothing outside of God's control. Second week, we looked at the goodness of God, and we saw how God is not only good, he is absolute goodness, whereas we are subjective goodness, short-sighted and self-serving goodness. God is the good father. He is the good shepherd. He is Emmanuel, our good savior, and he is always working because of his goodness, all things for his glory and my perfection. After that, we looked at the fatherhood of God, and we saw how God is a true father, a heavenly father, not like our earthly dads. Often our earthly dads were unpleasable or unreasonable or unstable and unable, but God is none of those. God is always close and caring. No matter how far we may be, God is always near to us. Last week, Father Timothy led us and and showed us the justice, talked to us about the justice of God. And we saw how God, again, is not just just, 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 He is absolute justice. He is absolute fairness. And it is not our job to judge his justice. God doesn't have to meet our standard of justice. It is our job to do justice, not to talk about it, 
not to judge him, but to go actually, actually go out there and do justice for others. And that brings us to this week. And this week, we save the best for last. This week, we're going to talk about the most essential characteristic of God. That if you cut God open and you went to his core, what you would find is this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. John, who knew Jesus pretty well and knew a lot about God, said, God is love. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Today, we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about the love of God. And love of God, whenever you say the word love, love is one of those words that's easy to say, I love you. I love pizza. I love the Redskins. I love my dog. Well, not my dog, but one might say that, okay? It's one of those words that's easy to say, and we hear it all the time, but it's kind of hard. It's not easy to define. And I'll, I'll make the statement that I believe, I'll make the case that love is something that's on everyone's mind. Whether you realize it or don't realize it, it's on everyone's mind. Every one of us is searching for love, but not necessarily, as the song goes, in all the right places. Every song you hear on the radio, most of them are about love. Every movie that you watch has to have a love scene in it. That's, in fact, the majority of the movies out there can't, even like the war movie, like they can't without the love scene. It has to be the, 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 the damsel in distress. Even children's shows and children's movies have to have a moment in time where they fall in love and they run off into the sunset and live happily ever after. <clears throat> I believe that love is a universal need. But if love is such a universal need and everybody is searching for it, why is it so hard to find? Why is it so few people actually experience the kind of love they're looking for? And why is it that especially when you look at a lot of the behaviors that either we do or that other people do, the regrettable, unexplainable, why did I do that behavior? Oftentimes, those are a direct result for not having that need of love met. Well, I believe the problem isn't necessarily that there isn't enough love in the world. I believe the problem is that we may not know what love truly is. So here's my question I want to start you off with today. What is love? What is love? Do you know how tempted I was to play what is love, baby don't hurt, like to say, play the clip, but I'm not playing the clip, okay? But what is love? Baby don't hurt me. What is love? The problem is this. The problem is this. The problem is all of us define love in different ways. For example, you would have a married couple and you go to that married couple and they're fighting about whatever it is they're fighting about. And you go to the husband. The husband says, I, I love my wife and, and I, I do anything for my wife. And that's why I work so hard. And that's why I fix everything around the house. And I do this and I do this. Of course, I love my wife. And then the wife says, I feel so unloved. Why? Because she defined love differently than he did. She defined it as, you know, words of affirmation. Or, or touches of affection. He defined it as go get a paycheck and go mow the lawn when it needs to be mowed. Parents with children, this is an easy one. Is our children say, if you love me, you'd let me do this. If you love me, you'd let me do this. Well, we as parents say, actually, you know, it's the exact opposite. It's because we love you that we won't let you do that. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not that we don't love you. It's that your definition of love is the exact opposite of ours. Go down the street a few miles into Washington, D.C. And you hear people talk about politics. And you can have the same discussion. We should love the homeless. Absolutely, we should love the homeless. I believe we should love them by feeding them. I believe we should love them by not enabling them. 
I believe we should love in this way. I believe we should love by that way. And you could have two people arguing love, 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 love in completely different ways. The problem is each one of us comes up with our own definition of what love is and we act according to it. And we say to ourselves, if he loved me, he would do this. If she loved me, she would do this. And then we do the same to God. If you loved me, you would do this. And if you, if you loved me, you, wouldn't, you would protect me from this. But what if our problem, what if our definition of love is wrong? What if like when we talked about God's goodness, what if love is subjective on our end? What if our, our definition of love is, is subjective and, and, and not necessarily looking at the big picture of things? If there's one thing that you take away from this message here about God's love versus human love, God's definition of what love is versus how we define it, God's love is not like our love. If there's one thing that you could take away from this message is the difference between God's love and our love is like the difference between the ocean and an inflatable pool in my backyard. The ocean, all the oceans of the, of the world and an inflatable pool in my backyard. Are those two things similar? Yes. They both contain water. You can swim in them both. Okay. If you, you know, need to go to the bathroom and you're there, no one will know. Okay. Like, you know, <laughs> are they similar? Yes. They're similar. They have similar features, similar characteristics. Are they the same? No, 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 no. You cannot compare. You cannot go in my backyard, swim in the backyard, little pool and come out and say, yeah, I, I, I've swam the ocean. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, yeah, I, I've been in this little two foot pool. Yeah, I'm ready. Make me the next Jack Cousteau. Let's go scuba diving. Let, let's see the bottom of the ocean. No, 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 no. Don't confuse similar with same. God's love has similarities with our love, with human love, for sure. I should say the opposite way. Human love has similarities to God's love, but they are not the same. Human love at its peak is like dipping your foot in the waters of the inflatable pool versus swimming in the ocean of God's love. Look how St. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter three, verse 17 through 19. He says that you, this is his prayer. And this is my prayer for us today too, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's our goal. That's our goal is to stop dipping our toes in the little baby pool of love, which is human love, and to jump into the ocean and to be filled with the fullness of God's love. And the good thing is, because this is the finale in the series, you're going to have two weeks, okay, actually three weeks when you count the, the you're going to have three weeks till we, till we meet again, okay? You're going to have extra time to practice this step, which is perfect as we approach Holy Week and Good Friday and Resurrection Easter Sunday. Here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do right now is we're going to look at, at God's love. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I cannot in a 30, 45 minute video explain everything there is about God's love. We'll take some different characteristics about it. I want to do one main idea about God's love. And then I want to look at some different characteristics. But the hope, the goal is that we don't just talk about God's love. We don't study God's love. We don't analyze God's love. We don't, we don't 
think about God's love, but the hope is that by the end, you are equipped to be able to jump head first and swim in the love of God. One big idea, three applications of it, three characteristics of it. And the main idea is this. The difference between human love and God's love comes down to the source. The source of human love is the recipient, the object of that love. The source of divine love is the giver. Humans, let's start with human love. That's the one we know. Human love is based on the object of that love. In other words, certain people elicit love from us. It's a choice we make. So if you are nice to me, then I am nice to you. If I feel like you love me, I choose to love you. Or let's say you're in my family, I choose to love you. Or you're my neighbor, I choose to love you. For God, there's no choice. It's not based on family, not family. There's no decision. It's not a behavioral thing. It's a nature thing. It's his character. He's not saying that he does love us. It says that he is love. It means it has nothing to do with us. That means he loves us when we're good or when we're bad. He loves us when we obey or disobey. He loves us when we're nice or naughty or not nice. He loves us if we're the Pope or if we're Hitler. Like he loves everybody, not because of who they are, but rather because of who he is. Now I realize this is not an easy concept to understand. So I try to come up with an example, forgive the crudeness of the example, but this is the best one I could come up with. I think it makes the point. And maybe you have a little laugh with it as well. The difference between human love based on the recipient, God's love based on the giver, the difference between showing love and being love is like the difference between manure and middle school boys. It's like the difference between manure and middle school boys. My apologies to all the middle school boys out there. The difference between manure and middle school boys is what? Manure smells. Middle school boys smell. I know this because for years I was a Sunday school teacher in a middle school group. So I went on these retreats with these middle school boys. Trust me on this one. The way that manure smells and middle school boys smell the smell may be similar, but the way you get there is two different paths. Manure smells by its nature. It just smells wherever it goes. Middle school boys usually, how shall I say, choose to release gases into the atmosphere that lead to a similar smell as the manure. In other words, the manure just smells. The middle school boys don't smell, but they choose to do something. I think you can read between the lines. And by the way, from the retreats, I know they usually choose to do it during prayer meetings. That's usually when they decide to do it. They choose to do something to emit the smell. It's a choice they make. Well, God, in a positive, not a, in a positive way, not a negative way, God doesn't choose to love. God doesn't say, okay, I'm going to love you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm even going to love you. God doesn't choose. God is love. Everywhere he goes. Like the middle school boys choose to make the aroma, but then they may run out. Okay? Depending on what they're eating. Okay, some of them I know, they're like the Energizer Bunny. I mean, they keep going and going. But I'm saying, eventually, in theory, they're going to run out of, of equipment. You know what I mean? Or, or, or resources. But the manure will never run out. 
The manure will always give up. It's its nature to smell. God's nature is love. God doesn't choose to love. God is infinity. You cannot add to his love. You cannot subtract from it. So you got infinity plus a million. Still infinity. Infinity minus a million. Still infinity. That's how God's love is. It is constant. It is always there. And as I said a minute ago, God doesn't love us because of who we are. God loves us because of who he is. God doesn't love you because of who you are. God loves you because of who he is. And like I said, what we want to do for the rest of our time here together is we want to look at a couple characteristics of that love. And like I said, I'm skimming the surface at best. I I cannot do justice to God's love no matter how much time you give me. No one can. But what I want to do is look up at this big thing called God's love. Okay, and I want to see, ah, here's a characteristic of it. And I want to go stand over there. Ah, there's another characteristic. And ah, there's another one. And I'm going to connect some of these dots together. And hopefully, we will learn more about God's love so that, again, like I said, not to know about it intellectually, but to jump into it. So, three characteristics of God's love. We'll go through these kind of quick, okay, because you can go through, uh, you can take your own time to meditate about these. The first ones, God's love is unchangeable. God's love is unchangeable. Because nature, because God's nature is love, and because God by his nature is unchangeable, therefore, his love is unchangeable as well. This is the opposite of us, okay? We have good days, bad days. God doesn't have good days, bad days. We have, you did this to me, I do this to you. God doesn't have that. Regardless of what you did to him, he is the same. We have, the economy stinks, the weather is bad, there's a lot of traffic, I'm not feeling very loving. God doesn't have any of that. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse, thir- verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. An everlasting, unchangeable love. Now, some people would say, wait a minute. Doesn't God get angry with us at times? Especially if like, you look in the Old Testament. Wasn't God angry with them in the Old Testament? Didn't Jesus get angry one time where he did like the the temple and he cleaned the temple? Didn't Jesus like yell at the Pharisees? And sometimes we'll think to ourselves is, hey, wait a minute. Sometimes God is love, Samaritan woman. Sometimes God is angry, Pharisees. Well, let me ask you a question. Who said that anger is the opposite of love? Who said that anger is the opposite of love? Is it possible? that you can be angry with someone and still love them? Yeah, it's called marriage. (laughs) It's called raising children. Like, don't we get angry at the people that we love the most? But that doesn't change our love for them. Like, you may get angry at your spouse. Doesn't mean you stop loving them. You may get angry at your children. Doesn't mean you stop loving them. You may get angry at your parents, okay? Doesn't mean you stop loving them. It just means that the love... Like the behavior may change, but the nature behind it doesn't. My behavior with my children may change or may take different shapes, but that doesn't change the love that's behind it. God is the same way. Don't confuse behavior with nature. God's behavior may change. He may speak one way to the Samaritan woman, one way to the Pharisees. He may speak one way to Moses, one way to Peter. But the love that's behind it, the motivation behind it, the nature behind it is unchanging it's always love. I'll give you an example. Let's say you go outside in the street here today and you see a kid in the street, okay, that's not your kid, 
and he is breaking the social distancing laws and he is like four feet away from a guy in front of him. Okay, he's not six. The rule is six. He's four feet or three feet and he's encroaching dangerously on two feet away. But he's not your kid. What are you going to do? Hey, most likely, do nothing. Most likely, you just walk by on the other side of the road. Maybe you glare, judge the parents in your head. Of course, we would do that. But you probably wouldn't do anything more than that because it's not your kid. But let's say it is your kid. What are you going to do? You're going to say, hey, Junior, back up. What are you doing? Don't bring the Corona stuff into our house. Are you kidding me? You're going to say, you crazy? Get back inside. And you're going to yell. And you're going to scream. And you might even give him a consequence. And he's going to say to himself, but wait a minute. Why my mom stopped loving me? Why my dad stopped loving me? A minute ago, they were loving me. They were playing with me. We were having a good time. We were eating ice cream. Vegan, of course. But we were hanging out. And a minute ago, they loved me so much. And now they don't love me anymore. Hey, hey, hey. Look, as a parent, my behavior towards my children may change. But that doesn't change the love that's behind it. In fact, because the love is constant... Because the love is constant, the behavior must change. And in fact, God is the same way. Yeah, his behavior towards us changes. But the reason is because our behavior changes. But his nature of love is constant and unchanging. God's love is unchangeable. God's love, number two, is unconditional. And this may be the one that's the hardest for us to grasp because it is so different from human love. Human love is full of conditions. I love you if, I love you when, I love you because, I love you, hopefully not, but I love you sometimes, so that, in order that. It is hard for us as human beings to imagine a purely unconditional love, but that's exactly the kind of love, again, that's the difference between that swimming pool and that ocean. Look what it says right here in Romans chapter five, verse seven through eight. It says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. God demonstrates his own love. The difference between human love and godly love. God shows his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine a mother as a child who won't stop crying. Let's say you're a new parent, okay, and you got a, you know, a one-year-old or two-year-old or whatever it may be, and that kid keeps crying and crying and crying and crying and crying and won't stop crying. So finally, as a mom, you pick up the phone, call the police and say, excuse me, police, my kid won't stop crying. Please come and take him away. Get me a new one instead. Would any parent do that? Would any parent in their right mind say, kid won't listen to me. I don't want him anymore. Get rid of him. Isn't that sometimes how we think God is? We, that's how we think, because we think of conditional love. So we think of God and say, well, God loves X and God hates Y. So therefore, if I did Y, God must not love me anymore. And sometimes parents, we're kind of guilty. We tell this to our children. No, no, no. God doesn't love that. So don't do that. So God loves you. Avoid that. So God loves you. Don't you dare do that so that God loves you. I'm telling you, the devil the devil would love for you and me to connect our actions to God's love, 
or let me say that better, connect God's love to our actions. But if we did action A, he loves us. If we did action B, he doesn't love us. You prayed, he loves you. You didn't pray, no. You fasted, you didn't fast. You gave, you didn't gave. You Bible, you didn't Bible. Devil would love for us to connect our good actions and say, you did good, God loves you because you did good. Because he knows that there's gonna inevitably come a day where we don't do good, where we don't fast, where we don't pray, where we do fall into that sin, where we do lust, where we do judge, where we do gossip. And if he got you to think that his love, that God's love is more for you when you did good, and he's ready for when you didn't do good, tell you the exact opposite. God doesn't love us because of us. He loves us because of him. It's not based on what we do, based on who he is. Because God's love is unchangeable. God's love is unconditional. And thirdly, God's love is undeserved. Let me ask you a question. When was humanity, humanity as a whole, at its ugliest, at its worst? I think you'd agreed with me that humanity was at its worst right before the death of Christ. Okay, we'd look at the events of Holy Week and we'd look specifically at Good Friday and we'd say humanity, humanity as a whole, accused God of a crime, accused God of a crime, put him on trial, a funny trial with, with no evidence, beat him, I'm sorry, arrested him, beat him, judged him, crucified him on a cross and buried him in a tomb. Man, humanity, at its ugliest, well, I would say it was on Good Friday. Did Jesus know all that was going to happen before it happened? Of course, he knew exactly it was going to happen. So let's look at Jesus the day before all this happened. What did Jesus do on the day before his, his arrest, his, his trial, his death, his crucifixion, his burial? What did Jesus do? Look, me and you, we would say, if you know you got a hard day coming up, you know something difficult is coming, you might be a little grumpy the day before. Like, everyone has a right to be a little grumpy. Like, so I, you know, I, I know, like, even, even just the thought of, like, oh, I got, you know, uh, a dentist appointment coming up, or, you know, I have this, this, this surgery or whatever it may be, yeah, it puts you in a little bit of a grumpy mood. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen to him on Good Friday. How did that make him act on the day before? John 13, verse 1, a passage we read on Holy Thursday, the day before Good Friday. It says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, this expression, to the end, I've spoken about this before, doesn't mean to the end of his life. It doesn't mean Jesus loved them till the very end of his life, till his very last breath. That's how we kind of think about it. It doesn't mean that. A better way of translating it is he loved them to the uttermost, meaning he loved them not to the end of himself. He loved them to the end of love. Like here's love. Remember I said not, not yes, no, but thermostat degrees. And he loved them to this degree. And then he, there's a little more I can love them. And then a little more and a little more. And then finally, when it's like love too much, love too much, love too much, squeeze in one more love, just squeeze in one more little piece of love. That's what this verse means. <clears throat> and what Jesus did next, we won't read the whole chapter, was Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. That's John 13. He washed their feet. He washed the feet of Judas, who he knew would betray him. He knew 
was the one he had given himself for Judas, and he was in the process of saving Judas for eternity, and Judas sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. <clears throat> he washed the feet of Peter, who he knew just hours later, after all the, oh, I will never leave you, and I will never deny you, and I'll go, after all that, that, that cowboy talk, after all that, Peter, in front of a little servant girl, I don't know who he is, I don't know who he is. No, 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 you're not with me. No, 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 me. No, you don't know what you're talking about. You must look to somebody. You know me. <clears throat> he washed the feet of his disciples, who every single one of them, except one, every single one of them, in Jesus' hour of greatest need. One, couldn't stay awake and pray with him. Two, as soon as the bad guys came, they ran. They fled. He knew it all, but he still loved them. Why? This is an important question. He knew it all, but he still loved them. Why? Because God is love. There's no other option. <clears throat> I have a nice quote right here from a great author. His name is Henry Nouwen, who speaks about the greatest temptation in the world today is denying God's love for you. Okay, and this is how he says it. He says, over the years, I've come to realize that the greatest trap in our life is not success, popularity, or power, but self-rejection. Success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of a much larger temptation to self-rejection. When we have come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. God's love is like nothing on this planet. No human love can relate. The greatest human love on the planet put up all the human love all together and most to get you a backyard pool. But God's love is truly like the ocean. And my hope for our after our time here today is that God's love would go from here to here. Like we all know God. I didn't teach you anything new today. Everyone know God's love. Okay, we know God loves us from when we were in second grade in Sunday school. We know it here. But my goal is to go from here to here something we intellectually acknowledge to something that we spiritually, okay, internalize and experience, especially as we approach this time of Holy Week. Now, you may be asking yourself, what's the practical step here? How can we experience God's love? Well, I, this is not easy, okay, because God's love is hard to put into practice, but I, I'll give you three things that you can practice, and just go super quick through them, three things that you can begin practicing today and if you continue to practice them over the course of your life, I guarantee you, you will go deeper and deeper into God's love. And the three things are this, read, refuse, recycle. Read, refuse, recycle. First read, meaning read the Bible, read the word of God. Because God every day in his word tells us, I love you, I love you, I love you, I am love. And nothing you can do can change that. So much in the world today tells us we are worthless. We are unlovable. We are no good qualities. We need to put God's word in the other side to combat that. And I'm telling you, if you are not daily in the word of God, I'm telling you, you will struggle. You will struggle because the world out there is telling you one thing. If you are not daily in the word of God, you will struggle to know you are the beloved and who you are in Christ. Second thing is refuse. 
And when I say refuse, I mean refuse lusts. Refuse cheap substitutes and alternatives. Think of a person, okay, who's on his way home and he's really, really hungry and his wife prepared him a good meal, but he nibbles on snacks the whole way and some Cheez-Its over here and some little popcorn over there and some candy corn, whatever it is, maybe there. He may come home, says, are you hungry? No, I'm not hungry. But by the same token, I'm not filled either. We're the same way when it comes to love. We must refuse the cheap substitutes. That's what Nowen was saying, is that when we, we don't know we're loved, we may go for success, may go for popularity, may go for pleasures, may go for these cheap substitutes. But the best way to get a nutritious meal at dinner is refuse the cheap snacks that are gonna be offered to us all throughout our day. Refuse those, because sometimes the more hungry that you are, the better that you'll eat when it comes to the real thing. And then last is recycle that love. Recycle it by giving it away. Because God's love is one of those things that the more you give of it, the more you get of it. And our goal is not to be reservoirs of God's love, but our goal is to be channels of God's love. That through me, the love of God comes to you. And through me, the love of God comes to my home. And through me, the love of God comes to my neighborhood. And through me, the love of God comes to every single person that I come across. That's the love of God. Now I want to draw you one last picture, okay? In case my words didn't help, I'll, I'll give you a picture because they say a picture's worth a thousand words. And this picture really applies not just to today's talk about love, but to the entire series. Here I got a picture. Let me move this thing out the way. Here I got a pitcher of water, okay? And you see this pitcher of water right here. And here I got, sorry, it's the best action figure I could come up with right here, okay? This is the best I can do, okay? Let's say that this water... Like I said, it's like the ocean of God's love. This is God's love right here. All this water right here. And here's us, okay? And this is, you know, Roboman or whatever he may be. And he say, I want to taste God's love. And this is how most of us do it. Okay, we go in, we take a sip, we come out, we're dripping with water. I don't know if you can see that. Okay, we're dripping with water. And we say, wow, God's love is great. And wow, oh man, and I love it so much. I'm gonna keep, oh, oh man, I'm loving this water. And we go in once a day or twice a day. And we tell everyone, Hey, everybody, the water's so great. And look, I'm wet. And you see all the water and all the wet? That's maybe how some of us have been living so far. Here's what I want us to do instead. I want us to live that way. I want us not to taste God's love. I want us to live in God's love. There's a difference between someone, like I said, dipping his little toe in the ocean versus jumping in head first. You can't tell me you had a couple sips of water. You can't tell me you had a dip in the ocean and that you understand the ocean the way someone who jumps in head first and is filled with that water. I'll leave you guys with a verse. And it's a verse that you may recognize from one of the songs that we sometimes sing in church. It's from Isaiah chapter 54, verse 10, which says, Though the mountains may be shaken and the hills be removed, Yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Though the mountains may fall and the hills turn to dust, the love of the Lord will stand. You know why I love this verse? Because earlier I kind of lied to you. I told you that a mountain can't be shaken. That a mountain, nothing can move a mountain. Well, according to this verse, you know what? There may come a time that a mountain will be shaken. But do you know what won't be shaken? The love of God. And it's the love of God for you and the love of God for me and the love of God for every person on this planet, regardless of what we've done, regardless of where we've gone, 
regardless of how far we've strayed, the love of God will never be shaken. That mountain down the street, it was Mount, Mount, Mount Everest, is more likely to jump up, do a somersault in the sky, and come back down and land in my backyard than God's love to move one inch. That's the love of God. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, what would we do without your love? We thank you, Lord, that you love us in ways that we'll never understand, and we can't, we can't begin to wrap our minds around. But I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to go a little bit deeper in your love, especially as we approach Holy Week and Resurrection. I pray you'd help us to go a little bit deeper into your great and mysterious love for mankind and that we could respond to that love in a way that's befitting the great love you showed for us. Pray, Lord, for all those who are watching, all those who are at home, all those who are in need of special prayers and ask us to pray for them. Accept our prayers this day in the name of your Son, the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you being here. Please make sure to check out our website, stsa.church. As we said earlier, we, we changed some things up, okay, and we kind of released the whole, uh, whole new thing there. So please make sure you check that out after the service here today. And please make sure you sign up for our email list so we can keep in touch with you, especially as we approach Holy Week, okay? We have a great plan in place that we're working out the final details. And later this week, I'll be sending out an email with exactly what we'll be doing to make this certainly one of the most memorable and uplifting Holy Weeks that we've ever experienced.